Welcome back to another episode of By Order of the Peaky Blinders. I'm Daniel, he's Josh, and today we continue our season two tour through the supporting characters of Peaky Blinders. And we've got Billy Kitchen, the head baker, otherwise known as Paul Bullion, joining us today. And just want to remind you guys, if you want to uh, introduce yourself to the conversation, you can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash peakypodcast or send us an email at bootpeakyblinders at gmail.com. Of course, we're available on Patreon as well at patreon.com slash peaky. So now, without further ado, we welcome in Paul. How are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. I'm uh, mid-bake, baking a fruit loaf. Okay, all right, so that's <laughs> one way. I was going to ask you how you're, you're planning on spending the time here in this quarantine. If you follow Paul on Twitter, you know that he, uh, he just bought, what, like a weight vest, so at least you're working out yeah. a little bit more. Yeah, well, yeah, I've got to adapt, you know, I can't get to the gym anymore, rightfully so as well, you know, closing down all these these places are important, and uh, yeah, so I've got a weight vest, and I've, I've adapted my training to, to like eight square foot in the back garden. <laughs> that, that works, I've been, uh, I've been doing the, the uh, home Peloton classes, doing some of, some oh, of the more strength classes, I'm sure Peloton's getting a lot of business right now, yeah, uh, yeah. people adapting, doing their home workouts, because we can't get to the gym, but I mean, any anything to be active you know for an hour of the day it's like never been more active than than i have been now oh, it's so important for mind more than anything for your mind no oh, definitely and i'm sure like it's people people i saw something that said that if you sit down and you watch tv all day it starts like really messing with your head and so you gotta you know step away from from it a little bit of time so it's definitely good yeah. for your mind but well, there's so much good content at the moment. That's so the thing. much good content. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 what we, that's, what, that's what we've been discussing as well, you know, in, in the uh, peaky downtime is what other shows mm-hmm. are there to watch, you know, on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, HBO, you know, in this downtime, since we are on a delay uh, in, the, in the new season, there's just so much great content. So, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely a good time for that. What are you watching right now, Paul? Uh, so I'm, I'm a, a guy that loves documentaries. Um, so I've just finished uh, The Tiger King. Oh, I just started it. He- heard a lot about it. I know spoilers, it? but my word. Oh, my yeah. word. It's incredible. Um, yeah. So like, I'm, I'm fascinated by like uh, true crime and, uh, and, and people that exist like in a different kind of uh, parallel to you, really. Um, uh, yeah, so I watched Tiger King uh, and uh, The Fear of 13, which is like a standalone 90-minute documentary about a guy called Nick Yaris, who was on death row for, I think it was 22 years, um, for a murder he didn't commit. Um, and it's, a, it's him telling his story, and he is such a brilliant storyteller. Um, so give that a watch as well. Yeah, I, I, um, actually, I actually just watched a movie last night called Just Mercy with Jamie Foxx and Michael B. Jordan mm-hmm. about someone who was wrongfully convicted of, of a murder. Basically, it, was a, it takes place in 1987 in the South in Alabama. And he, uh, not one person was ever you know, exonerated for, uh, for, for, for their crimes on death row. And he was the first one. It's a true story. Michael B. Mm-hmm. Jordan plays the, uh, the lawyer who's, who sets him free. And it's, it's crazy for all these people that have been on death row for something they definitely did not do. Well, that's the thing, like, you know, as, uh, being, being somebody that, you know, tells stories, I think true stories are the, are the ones that capture people's imaginations. And, uh, and I think, you know, 
keeping it relevant to, to Peaky, you know, the Peaky Blinders did exist. It's been dramatised, but they are a real gang that existed, um, and many gangs like them in uh, between World War One and World War Two, which is a you know a social no man's land that never gets taught in schools. You jump straight from World War One, next thing you learn would be World War Two, but there's that gap in between where people had to survive. So that's perfect. Let me ask you: Were you familiar with the show before season two when you got involved with it? Um. To be honest, by by name only, um, because uh, I was on a on a show called Jamaica Inn on the BBC, and the stunt coordinator for for series one uh, was working on Jamaica Inn, and he said to, he actually said to me, he was like, "No, oh, have you heard of the show Peaky Blinders?" And I thought, "What a weird name! It sounds like a comedy." He said, "You'd be perfect for it," and I was like, oh, "Okay, yeah, sure." <laughs> like, kind of shrugged it off. Um, and then you cut to like six months later, I get a phone call from my agent saying that. I had like an audition the next morning um, and I had to do a black country accent, um, which I'd never tackled before. I was aware of what it was. I've got a friend that's from Dudley. So I rang my friend and uh, listened to him talk for a bit and tried to imitate his accent. Um, went in the next morning and read for, read for Billy Kitchen. Um, and I have to say, to start with, my accent was somewhere between, <laughs> I don't know, Liverpool and Irish probably. <laughs> but then... Uh, uh, but, you know, I could I, I, I stay committed and, you know, they, they saw something that, that suited the character, I think. And so they gave me another shot and I went back like a month later uh, after some proper voice coaching with my dialect coach. And I, I didn't want this to let this opportunity slide. So every opportunity I was meeting my friend for coffee and Skyping my, um, my, my dialect coach, um, Ab Abigail Langham, who actually based in America now, but she's actually from Birmingham herself. So um, she was she was helping me, and I, I went in there and made sure that I I didn't give them an excuse to to not give me the job. Really, love that, love that. So I mean, I'm I'm gonna ask you, what was it like to read the script for your character and basically see that your character is gonna die at some point? So what? How does what's that thought process? Well, that's a funny story because I didn't know he was going to die. Really? Oh, so so I was, uh, yeah, no. So I didn't know. I didn't know until the read through. Oh, yeah, funny story. Um, <laughs> so I went. I went to the read through, and I I received episodes uh, two and three. Uh, no, what was it? Three. No, th three and four. But I hadn't uh, received episode five, which was my character's uh, obviously last episode. Um, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, it was six years ago now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, so uh, basically no, I'll turn up to No the, sympathy, yeah. no sympathy. Well, I'll, I'll turn up to the read-through and, um, and Paul Anderson, who plays Arthur, he's like, ah, oh, Paul, Billy boy. I was like, how you doing, mate? You went, episode five, it's going to be so much fun. It's going to be so much fun to film. I was like, ah, oh, I haven't got the script yet. What, what happens? And he went, ah, oh, oh, give it a read. And so I got the script and I was going through it and I was like, oh, and then I was, it just said, um, Billy gets shot in the face. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, no. And, I, I, and then I was trying to like scan the pages. I was like, please say that's the name of the sacrificial goat. Please say they've called <laughs> Oh, no. I was hoping, I was hoping they've, called the, they've, they've called the goat Billy. But um, no, unfortunately, it was the end of Billy Kitchen. But that's how I found out. But at the same time, you, you know, <laughs> you got to let go of your ego and say, well, you know, it serves the storyline and, you know, somebody had to get the chop in series two. And I don't think, uh, I don't think it was late enough in the storyline for any of the, 
the big main players to go yet, you know? Yeah, well, I, I, I will say, I know, I know the Peaky Blinders definitely miss, miss Billy Boy. They could use him, they could use Billy Boy on their side, but that was something that, you know, a lot of these characters that, that Daniel and I say that makes this show, you know, one of the best shows similar to Game of Thrones is that they're not afraid to kill anybody at any single time. You know, obviously, if you, if you watch later in seasons, Grace and John, you know, they go eventually, and it, it's not expected. So anything from like a minor character to a big character, it's like any time it could happen. But, yeah, and, and, and in saying that as well, you know, when, when, you, when you, you do get killed off in a show, um, it's got a, you know, they've got to earn it. So it means you get some nice moments leading up to it. And I think I was fortunate enough, um, you know, Stephen Knight, Gave me some some lovely moments in the show, so um, I was I was very grateful for that. And uh, you know, I was 20, uh, 25 when I did that, so I was um, twenty five years old, and you know, on, just learning so much being on that job, and I was very grateful for it. Paul, we talked uh, the other day to your uh, to your buddy Adam Hagar, who played Ollie. Yeah. And if, if you haven't listened to that interview yet, you can go back and listen to Josh and I talk to him. It was incredible the insight that Adam gave from just learning from Tom Hardy and Killian Murphy. And he had a, maybe a little bit more time spent with, with those legends, but do you have any, you know, good tidbits spent from, from those two stars? I mean, I think you realize that um, they're very similar to any other actor. They just want to do good work. So once you realize that it kind of takes the edge off things and um, you know, he, they, they work in very different ways. I mean, um, Killian is, is, is very solid um, in, not that Tom isn't solid at all, but um, you know, you know what you get with Killian and he, you know, he, he will, you feel very assured and you, you can do this, you know, a similar take multiple times. Um, whereas with, with Tom, he, he gives birth to some brilliant moments because he does go off script. And uh, that's, an, that's another funny story. Obviously he was, in an accent close to his own, being a London-based accent. Uh, and then, I'm oh, sorry, very exaggerated, obviously. He doesn't speak like, like Alfie Solomon <laughs> normally, but... Um, it's Bane, it's but, just British Bane. <laughs> British Bane with that, with that croak. Um, but yeah, and then, and then for me, I was like in a black country accent. And, uh, and he, in the scene uh, in the bakery, where we sat opposite having breaking bread, um, yeah, he just goes off and he's coming out with all these absolute corkers. And I just remember in my head, I was going, brilliant. Uh, I haven't learned any of these lines in the accent. Um, but, but then it was just about me like relaxing and just going along with it. And I just learned that the more you relax, you know, the more you can give birth to these organic moments. And, and that's what happened. That whole, that whole scene at the table, we, we followed the, the arc of, of the scene. But, you know, Tom, Tom would throw a couple of lines out there and you go along with him. And, you know, they, they keep it in the show because it's, you know, brilliant. It's funny. It's, it's, uh, it's what's needed. And, you know, and to be given the freedom to do that as well. But, you know, under the instruction of, in Series 2, we had Colin McCarthy, phenomenal director. Um, and he, he's very good at letting you play, but also, you know, staying true to the story. Let me ask you... I in my opinion, one of the most iconic scenes in all of the show, but especially series two, was the the lineup with, with you as the head baker and just Alfie just going in and, and completely destroying that one, you know, subject or, or whatever whatever you want to call him, the, the assistant baker. Was there 
any, I guess, ad hoc there or was that all scripted and, and how was that kind of played out multiple takes or just one take and, and the intensity? Oh no, it was, um, it was multiple takes. Uh, you've got, you've got to do multiple takes to, to get all the coverage. Um, so we're there for a good uh, kind of two, three hours, maybe a bit longer um, doing that, changing angles. Um, but yeah, I mean, in that moment, you had Killian obviously there, um, Tom throwing around. And that was, I think that was my first day on set, actually. First or second day. Um, but yeah, because we only had Tom for like seven days because he was going between, he'd just finished something and he, he was going off to do Legend, I think, the the Cray Twins movie. Yeah. And then he was going off to Canada to do uh, The Revenant. So um, we only had him for like seven days. And so I think one of the first things we filmed was my death, which was very strange to film that and then go back and do everything else. But near the beginning of the schedule was that scene where he was addressing all of the bakers, um, in inverted commas. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was just, yeah, again, Tom, Tom followed, I'd say, majority of the script, but he added to it as well and, uh, and, and came out of some absolute gems. Um, and, that, and that gets pure reactions out of people. You know, um, and that's and that was incredible to watch. And and then you know you've got the the other energy, the very still Killian Murphy in his Tommy Shelby mode, um, just unshakable. And it was it was uh, it was brilliant to to be involved in that and, and soak it all up. Yeah, I guess I guess going off of that kind of off script theme because I mean one of the shows that Daniel I love and that's that's great right now in these times is Curb Your Enthusiasm. I don't know if you watch that show, but <laughs> almost almost all of it is is, is off script yeah. and just improvised. So how much, you know, one of the favorite, one of my favorite scenes in all of the show is the scene, you know, where, where Alfie goes off, you know, goes off about the Passover Seder and the sacrificial lamb mm -hmm. and all that. How much of that was scripted and how much of that was just Tom going off script? Oh, it's all, um, don't get me wrong, Stephen Knight, he works so hard in his script on his scripts. It's it's more it's more adding to what's there if okay. needed at all. Um and I didn't think it was needed at all, but he came out of this absolute little gem where um where he says, You alright, Billy boy? And I was like, I was like, that's not in the script. I was like, I'm alright. <laughs> yes, I'm fine. <laughs> um, and then uh, he says, Do you want to go to little boy's room? I was like, that's not in the script either, but I'll go along with it. I was like, I'll stay, I'll stay. And, uh, and you know, it's just little moments like that where he will just flip the energy and, he'll, you know, he'll direct it at you and it's your job to bounce it back. And that's, and that's what I was continuously trying to do is bounce back all these little balls of energy that were thrown my way. And that's your, and that's your job to go along with it. And I think, I think, you know, Stephen Knight knows exactly what he's doing. And, uh, and, and that's why I think the casting... Um, for the show was 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 brilliant you know Shaheen Baig and her team they really they really consider um that you know their choices and I have to say you know to this day and I've you know since done a few bits it's been one of the uh the best jobs I've been on because everybody was just so up for it all the time mm. and uh and there was no hierarchy and everybody was on a level and it's an important thing to remember when you're an actor is that you know it doesn't matter how far you come or you know or how high you know other people would say um you're there to do a job 
and you only you know you've got to work with the people around you and it's the people around you that that, that help you do your job so if you, talking about the casting of the show how what was so, so we've we've kind of heard about what it was like to work with tom hardy and killian murphy what was it like working with paul anderson is he is he like arthur is he that crazy or is he kind of more reserved and just completely different oh i mean he's not like he's he's got an amazing unique energy about him he's a very giving person um he got into acting quite late um not that there's ever a time limit but um but he's just got this infectious personality and um people kind of want to be around him because he's, he's hilarious you know in the makeup trailer he's very funny um he's very generous um with his time and uh and we had a we had a, a great laugh you know obviously um you know the storyline meant that our characters shot a lot together you know taking over the club in london and um and obviously the the, the dinner with alfie and you know going down to camden together and all of that was like just brilliant because he he properly took me under his wing more than you know i'd say the script allowed it and you know we spent a lot of time together and he, again you know another one he he him and um and Tom would bounce off each other a lot, and they were like the masters of of uh, kind of dark comedy, you know. Um, so it was, it was brilliant to watch. And uh, you know, you've got you've got to go to every day of work, you know, whether you're an actor or any creative industry or any industry at all. Just you know, you want to learn, and if you can learn every day, then brilliant. And that's what I felt like that job was like a, a huge masterclass for me. But I also also felt I had something to offer as well and I always reminded myself that I had something to offer you know and that's important you don't want to just shrink and think that you're overwhelmed by the scenario um I wasn't you know because that that that, that shows just how welcoming those those big names are you know they they make you feel um like you're you're included and that you're part of it because you are you know you continue to watch the show have you seen series three four five yeah it's hard, it's hard not to when you've been involved with something like that you want to know where they're going i don't really i don't have any inside information nor would i want to know because no, no like, we don't want to know either you know, no, because like like uh like everyone else you know I, i'm a fan of the show now you know uh i watched series one after i got cast um uh yeah, so then I watched series one, and obviously I was in series two, and then I, I, then I, you know, I was watching it like everybody else, and it's it's incredible to, you know, I can't I can't see it coming. I can't see any of these um, these storylines coming. They just come out of nowhere, and you know, you think you know something, and then you get you get you know sideswiped. <laughs> right. That makes that makes for the best TV. I was going to ask any predictions for season six. What do you think is going to happen with the Michael versus Tommy feud? um i'd like to see i don't i, I can't i really can say what's going to happen like but because i have no idea i have no idea that's the brilliance of, of stephen knight you have no idea where he's going to go with it what i'd like to happen i'd like to see michael gray uh challenge uh tommy um to have an internal struggle um so that you can have like a battle within rather than just these external en uh, enemies um and because uh, what well, uh, you know finn cole who plays who plays michael very talented talented actor and you could tell from you know when he was first introduced in series two his character has this 
this kind of underlying kind of want for power. I think that's been growing and growing really well in the last few series. So I'd like to see that come to a head. I mean, there's so many great scenes in this, in this, in the show, but you know, you, you can count on more than, in more than two hands besides the, the, the Passover Seder scene, which I alluded to as being one of my favorite scenes. What is your favorite scene of this whole show? Oh, so, so many. Um, or just one of them, if you could just think. There's <laughs> okay, so many. So, like, like, like everyone else, the, the genius of um, uh, Tommy Shelby thinking he was going to get buried. Um, and, then, um, and then you find out that Churchill wants to meet him. <laughs> that, was, that, was actually, that was actually Adam's favorite scene as well. And that's actually one of my favorite scenes. I said, I've, I've alluded to on one of our previous podcasts with, you know, All My Tears by Anne Brunn playing in the background as he walks away. And you can actually see Tommy at his lowest of the low for one of the few times you actually see him at the lowest of the low. And when the acting by Killian in that scene is just tremendous. So that's why it's my favorite scene of the show. And I think any, any of the scenes involving the, the, the kind of tender heart-to-hearts between uh, to- Tommy uh, and Arthur, dragging Arthur from, from rock bottom, um, I think you can show that's what I think brilliant about the show it's so much more than just um, kind of gang warfare it's so much more than that you have these tender moments where you don't need any of the weapons you don't need any of the explosions you don't need any of these big dramatic shots you just need two uh, incredible characters in a scene and watching them bounce off each other and to have to have a character that's as big a personality as Arthur Shelby and then uh, to see him in his dark times and having, you know, Tommy pull him out of that. I love those moments. And uh, that's what the show is brilliant at doing. It's got a real heart to it. It's not all just fireworks and, you know, it's got, it's got real um, heart in the center of it. And I think that's why it's, it's touching such a wide audience. And I think that's why it's such a perfect show to have, you know, two people break it down every episode like Josh and I do, but we like to have a little bit of fun. So let me bring you into our, uh, imagination time and we've talked about different spin-offs that we could imagine in, in case we want Peaky Blinders to keep going. Can you can you think of anything that you would want spun off, whether it be the nannies of Birmingham, because we never know where the kids are, or a little you know, something with the war where we get Billy Kitchens and Jeremiah and the and the snipers watery lane. Uh I'd love to see the uh Peaky Blinders in the trenches where uh where it, it like, like a prequel because there's always yeah. reference. Yep, always. Those flashbacks you see, you know, Tommy digging the tunnel, um, but like the, the, the references in, in the scenes that we had, you know, it was always an honor to have um, you, you, you next to us and, you know, and vice versa. And we always talk about how we knew each other from the war. Danny Wizbang, another, yep. another strong character uh, from series one. You know he's traumatized by the war, so there's de- there's definitely drama there. Um, so that would be that'd be nice, not only because I get to go back into into the flat cap, um, <laughs> well probably a berry by then. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean that's just that's just an idea. I don't think it would ever happen. No, um, no we're just having fun. Yeah, it's just a bit, a bit of fun. Um, but yeah, I mean it'd be good to see you know uh, what happened in. 
in that era when the peakies weren't there, when they were at war and, you know, was there, was it actually more peaceful or not? <laughs> like, you know, um, I, don't, I, I don't know really. There's, uh, there's so much opportunity. Uh, Aunt Polly during the war. Okay. Uh, you know what? That would be a good one. Like an ocean's just taking care of everybody. Well, it's right, the right. thing of like, what Stephen Knight is so good at is writing really strong roles for women. And it would be good to see what they were doing in the war effort because you know that they were working incredibly hard in the in the effort. And uh, I can I can imagine all the characters that he's written were were doing something quite substantial. I, I can imagine. So that would be quite interesting to see. Let me ask you because we have discussed this to delibrium because we loved Polly growing. You know, seasons one, two, three, and then we get this situation where she basically sets her son out to dry by setting him up with the Luca Changretta switch up yeah. and telling him what, what is your opinion of Polly at this point? Because we are, uh, we're, we're kind of leaning towards an anti Polly podcast because she kind of laid her son out to dry and sided with Tommy. Well, that's the thing you never know. You never know people's true, true intentions really. Like were, were they, were they double bluffing? Were they, I mean, I think, I think she's so integral to the success of the of, of the gang, um, and I think I think she she is responsible for some, for some of the the biggest moments. And you know, just the fact that she shot Campbell uh, at the races in the way that she did shows where her alliance really is. Um, and it's always it always falls back when push comes to shove. It will always be with the with the Peaky. So. I can't ever be anti Polly. I think, you know, Helen play, plays her superbly. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I think she's a brilliant, strong character. Uh, it does create obviously drama when she does like hang her son out to dry. Right. Uh, but, you know, that's very true to, to most families. No family is that functional. And uh, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, I think Peaky is the, uh, absolute exaggeration and polarization of a dysfunctional family that will always have each other's back. Yeah. So, last peaky question here: Who do you think is Tommy's biggest foe that he's had the most trouble with? It could be anybody from series one to series five. Who do you think that he's actually been scared of? Um, I mean, it's hard, isn't it? Because I don't think he. Been scared. Hmm. Who's who's given who's given him the biggest problem? Biggest problem. I mean, it's tough. That's a good question, Josh. It's a really good. Yeah. For anyone that's listening, I clearly don't get prepped. So I clearly don't get <laughs> yeah, we had no pre-interview. <laughs> no pre-interview. Um, I liked. Uh, I liked Billy Kimber. Just going to talk about my, my favourite kind of villains in it now. Mm. Billy Kimber in uh, series one, um, I think, was such a strong character, and he made such strong choices, um, and uh, so confident. Um, there's not been that kind of um, overtly confident uh, villain in it. They've had a lot of cool, suave people, but then to get this kind of Cockney, right. Um, gangster come bowling in and you know what's the line uh, nobody works with me they work for me you know right, that kind right. of whereas everybody else is very standoffish and uh dangerous in a different way he was kind of like he would bottle you 
if he needed to. <laughs> you know, and, like, and, it's, and it's brilliant to see how from series series one, Stephen Knight, you know, you have the, you have the Billy Kimber character and now where we are with the Oswald Mosley character that's kind of dangerous with his words and, oh, his, well, and his intimidation yeah. tactics. I mean, he is, they, they've escalated, haven't they? They've, they've, gone up, they've gone up a level um, as they've had to with the climb of, of, right. of, of uh, you know, in the ranks and getting into politics. And it's very relevant. It's very relevant. Um, you know, we, we can see what's happening in our world politically now um, and uh, all these kind of the tribalism that's happening. Um, and you've got to pick a side and, um, and all of this. And uh, I think, you know, that character is, is so dangerous because uh, watching it even now in 2020, you know that, that um, kind of that nationalist kind of, uh, uh, kind of misplaced pride in your, in your, in your country is, uh, you know, you can be proud of your country, but you know, we know we know where that can lead, and we know where that can lead, and we can see, we can see echoes of that even even. Uh, oh yeah, definitely in our country. That's that's for sure. But 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 we won't go there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, it's it's mad, it's mad. Uh, but so we we uh, I think we watching watching their current season with with a villain like that is uh, yeah, it's it's quite I can't, unnerving because we know that. It's not. It's not something in the past, you know. Right, um, and it's and it's it's going to be interesting to, to to see how series six handles that situation because Oswald Mosley, obviously being a real life true character, um, that, and and seeing that that he actually doesn't pass away until about the seventies, so it doesn't seem like Tommy is going to you know end this dilemma with Oswald Mosley by brute force or by by a violent tactic. So it's going to be interesting to see if it actually does play out exactly as it did in real life or Stephen Knight has some twists on that. So we're curious to see that as well. Yeah, we know, we know Tommy as a character doesn't always have to use force. Right. He's, right. he's a very clever man. So it wouldn't surprise me if he just outsmarted him politically. Um, but yeah, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see what happens. It's going to be very interesting. Obviously we all have to wait a lot longer now. A lot longer, unfortunately. You know, fil films and TV, you know, they're, they're closed down like, like the rest of the world, right? You know, rightfully so. We've got to look after everyone's health, and we want to we want to be getting back to these these shows in good health, so we can enjoy our our jobs as well. No doubt about it. And we uh, we kind of pushed it across in our last couple episodes, but we just want everyone to be listening to whatever your local oh. rules are. Just just stay inside. There's no reason not to. There's so much TV to watch. And I'll tell you what, if you guys have not seen the witcher yet on netflix i can't let you go paul without giving you a massive yeah. congratulations oh, for, being, for being tabbed as uh one of the, the stars of season two of the witcher which is on netflix it's their uh what their, their take from a video game and and you're playing lambert and, and I, I believe uh i believe he's one of the witchers yeah so it's based it's based on the books um which is which is what the games uh the games are a sequel to the to the books um, so um, obviously Lambert's very popular in the games. He's he's also uh, popular amongst some of the, the, the book readers as well. Um, so yeah, I'm joining in series two. Uh, it's in production at the moment. Obviously, it's, it's being paused. Um, so yeah, I'm just he, he's one of the witches, and uh, I'm you know thrilled to to be uh, to be working on that.
And so this, this flow that you're showing, this Tormund giant Spain style hair right now, that obviously yeah. is, in line, is in line with that, right? Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens with hair and makeup. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tend to, as a rule, I don't really, uh, between jobs, I, I, I kind of keep growing everything out. And so they've got a bit of a blank canvas they can work with, you know. Um, I, just, I like to, you know, grow my hair and then kind of the longer it is, is the, <laughs> it kind of indicates how long I've been out of work. Okay. <laughs> and if you if if you guys want to you know visualize what it looks like go ahead patreon.com slash by order of peaky and check it out but something i'm very excited for and i was super you know enthralled in in the whole timeline of of the making of dune which was the adaptation of the kind of science fiction um old yep. movie and, and book and, and you're involved with that as well that's expected in December, but fingers crossed. How was is, how is the making of that as much as you did? Yeah, I mean, I was only on that for a few days. Um, yeah. I, uh, I got flown out to Budapest, um, and I was, there, I was there for like five days. I had like a bit of a sword fight with uh, Jason Momoa and a, and a few... Oh, that's casual. Casual. Uh, with old, with old Jason there. <laughs> no, incredible. Like, um, you know, who wouldn't want to be part of that? And... Uh, yeah, I went out, you know, small part, but, um, but yeah, to be involved in, in a, a film that big was, uh, was great. And, I, and it was my first time in Budapest and it's a beautiful, beautiful place. So shout out to Budapest if you were, if you were, if you think about visiting when this madness is over, definitely go. It's one of the, the best places I've been to. Well, we all know that if, if you just get one, one little cut on Jason Momoa's chest, he's going to die. So that's, that's all you needed to do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he said, but again, like, you know, he was just somebody that really loves his work, you know, and that's what I can say about all these people that we've been talking about. They're, they are where they are because they love their work and they're, they're nice people and uh, it goes a long way when you enjoy your work and you're nice, um, you know, and obviously they're ridiculously good at what they do. But, you know, you've got to be nice and you've got to enjoy what you do and they're very humble people, so... Um, all of them that you know, all the people I've worked with have been exactly that. Um, I mean, well, I mean, one one last question. I'm just curious. Do you think that your that your your role in Peaky, your time with Peaky, kind of set you up learning from those actors to get these other very these are big roles and big and big shows and a big movie. Do you think that your small role in Peaky or even you know just learning from Tom, from Paul, I mean, from Paul and Killian really helped you get to where you are now? Um, for me, it kind of broke down the, um, the kind of illusion that there's, there must be something magical um, that happened to them to get them where they are. And then you realize they've gone on a similar journey to you. They've, you know, if you look at Tom Hardy, for example, if you go back to um, like Band of Brothers and, and things like that really early on, mm -hmm. um, he wasn't a household name then um but he was working his way through and he little, little parts here and there um and yeah i mean it was just i, I suppose what i learned was uh to just keep at, at it you know not get disheartened and know that it's not gonna you know it's not ever gonna just happen overnight you're only as you know as good as your current job um and you've got you've got to always keep working um, people you know you can't just sit back and relax on it you've got to go right okay what can I learn from this and how can I use it in the future? And, you know, what's my next, my next challenge. And, uh, I think that's what I learned from them the most was 
um, how to conduct yourself in, you know, on set professionally. Because, um, like I said, I was 25. Um, I was only like three or yeah. four years in drama school. So, um, yeah, I just learned how to conduct yourself, how to be professional, um, you know, to learn from those people. And I think, you know, it's okay not to be serious, like, seri like you can be serious about your work without being stern. You can be serious and also enjoy what you do. <laughs> um, and, and all of them are definitely like that. You know, they love what they do. They have fun and they do take it seriously, but they don't let that feed into, into their personality. There's, there's a joy in what they do. All right, Paul, thank you so much. We really appreciate the time. Well, no, thank you very much for inviting me on. Absolutely. We had a blast. Stay safe. And uh, we're really looking forward to seeing you in season two of The Witcher on Netflix coming out. Probably, uh, what, 2021? Who knows? Yeah, yeah. It was definitely, it was, it was always scheduled for next year anyway. So it will just be at some point next year. But, um, you know, my, most important thing is that we, we all get through this and, you know, never felt more of a, a global community than in a time like this. So um, so we'll get through it. And uh, I hope you get back to your, your jobs very soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. He's Paul Bullion. For Josh, I'm Daniel. We binge so you don't have to.